Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. Hey, Career Crash listeners, we wanted to take a second before the episode to let you know that we have a brand new pocketbook out called Crash Your Career. You can pick it up on Amazon or at crash.co slash crash your career. You'll learn how to launch your career without waiting on gatekeepers and standing in line, applying many of the lessons you've heard from guests on this show. Go to Amazon or crash.co slash crash your career. Now on to the episode. All right. I am really excited about this episode because just yesterday, I got an email out of the blue from somebody that I had not met in person. I don't know that we've ever even talked before on uh, email or social media. Um, And it said, how I turned three rejections into two job offers. And the email was great. It was real short. It said, hey, here's the TLDR. I applied for a couple jobs and I was really persistent and I got rejected anyway, but I didn't take no for an answer. I sent some custom follow-up stuff, turned around, got an offer letter, And here's a longer article where I detail my process. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And the article blew me away the amount of awesome information in there and just the mindset and the approach that was taken, which is all about what we do here. So I immediately emailed back and said, Kevin, would you want to talk about this? Come on the podcast. And here we are. So Kevin Cherick, anything you'd like to say to introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan. I've been following you and TK through all the different podcasts that you guys have set up and your work through Praxis. And, uh, you know, thinking forward, I've been in contact with people at Praxis and there's such good uh, customer service and follow-up on on that side. I was like, well, I'm really just doing research for my nine-year-old. So we're not there yet, but uh, you plan ahead. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I just kind of documented what I did for my own purposes and because I kept telling people about it as I was going through the process and they said, well, you know, nobody does this, which is, you know, typical <laughs> in my experience is like, nobody does it this way. And so I first have to ask, well, why is that? You know, and um, I couldn't, I didn't give a good answer. So I just thought I would document it. And it just seemed to really, the tagline that you have on your podcast, it seemed to really just line up with that uh, of what your ethos is around career crashers. So uh, yeah, I just reached out and I'm glad to be here. So you wanted a, you've got some experience, you, you've, you've been in the professional world, you've started some businesses, but yep. you were looking at a new job and you were looking for a sales job in particular. Um, mm-hmm. And you were looking at some startups in your area and you kind of outline here your process. You have 11 steps outlined. And by the way, um, we're going to share a link. Uh, if you want to read this full article, we'll share a link in the show notes. I highly, highly recommend it because we're only going to be able to touch on the highlights. This is really thorough, really Thank excellent you. stuff. So you have this sort of 11 point outline of what you did. Um, can you just sort of walk through that process of, okay, I want a new job. What am I going to do now? Yeah. I mean, the most important thing is to actually have a specific target. Uh, and I think this is the same way when you're making educational decisions or career decisions. Uh, when you're trying to plan for everything, you, there's no context and no course to take. And so, um, you know, I had been kind of sort of looking for a job. Uh, and then I, this company stumbled across my, uh, my desk, so to speak. And, uh, and I was intrigued by the people first. 
And then I started to do basically step one, which is research the company. You know, am I interested in this company? What do they do? Are they winning? I have become here now in my late thirties, I have become more and more uh, developed an understanding that industries and then companies make careers. And so you can be Steve Jobs and if you're in a broken industry, it doesn't matter. You will be wasted. You will never develop, you know, wealth, the lifestyle you want, the career accomplishments that you want to have that you're pouring your lifestyle into. Warren Buffett says this so well. He says when an industry with a reputation for mediocrity meets uh, management with a reputation for brilliance, it is the industry that emerges with its reputation intact. And <laughs> that comes from his own experience trying to turn around the original Berkshire Hathaway, which is a textile factories, I think somewhere in New England. And they get into this business and they decide, oh, this is a disaster. It's just a complete money suck. And so they have to get out of it. So, you know, when I was young, I was full of fire and I was like, you know, I can make anything work through my sheer uh, force of will. And now a little bit older, my wife would say a little bit grayer. Uh, you start to say, oh, I need to can then not only ride that wave, but you know, step on those uh, shoulders of giants, so to speak, so that I can have the opportunity uh, to be successful. So the first thing I do is just research the company and understand the industry, try to understand the company's competitive position within that industry. Basically, are they? Uh, that's what I want to know first. And then, uh, and then after that, I need to understand the role specifically. So I start to reach out to just Cole uh, through LinkedIn. Um, I reach out and ask for informational interviews from basically frontline employees, uh, you know, people my age and younger uh, who are doing work so that they can tell me about the culture, the, you know, the compensation, the day-to-day -day activities. Do they love it? How is the company really doing? And I take those folks out. It might be a phone call. It might be coffee. It might be uh, lunch. You know, I took a woman out for lunch last year, the first time I did this strategy, and it was a two-hour lunch, she was just giving me all the information. I'm taking pages and pages of notes so that then when I climb the ladder, I know a lot of the jargon. I know a lot of the people in the organization. I know how the company works because I found kind of an internal champion who was able to tell me about what was going on. So, <clears throat> so let me just recap that. So you, you yeah. first research the company and the industry, get a good idea for what they're all about if you're interested. If you are interested, then you're reaching out not to the people who are making hiring decisions or high-level executives, but to just kind of on-the-ground workers. And how are you? What are you asking them in that cold outreach? Hey, I'm Kevin. I'd love to just buy you coffee and ask you a little bit more about the company you work for because I'm looking at an open position there. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's, okay. it's very straightforward. You really have to. This is where the mindset starts because you might send out. 10 emails and get one back or zero. I mean, if you, you cannot do send one, oh, I hope this one person opens it and gets back to me. And I do that through LinkedIn because I don't normally at this stage know what the email format is. So I can't just email people directly. So I'm just in LinkedIn. I go, you know, this company has 132 employees. I click that button and I'm just scrolling, looking for titles uh, that are within the department that I'm interested in, in my case, sales. Uh, and I'm starting to build out a little order chart. I'm like, these are the basic sales folks. You know, these are the directors. These are the VP of sales, et cetera. And so I understand how the internal politics, if you will, are working. I love it. And so I, you also have on here that you develop an, an org chart. So you're kind of mapping out 
based on the pieces you're putting together. Okay, who works where, who reports to where? And as you interview people, you're asking them these types of things. You're getting a feel for how it works, who are the decision makers, the hiring managers, learning about the company culture and how it works. And that's all before you have done any formal application to any job postings they have, right? Yeah. My feeling is that once you've formally applied, sometimes people get a little skittish about it. Um, when you just say, hey, I'm checking out your company. I may be interested. You know, can I buy a coffee? Can I get you on the phone? Um, somebody's going to say, yeah, sure. No problem. Uh, this may depend. I mean, we're in a relatively mid, mid-sized city, uh, so it's a very friendly city, and so people are very open to having meetings with folks, so that might vary, you know, uh, culture to culture within different cities, and you know, New York City might be less willing to take you up for coffee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but, but uh, yeah, this is all ahead of time because it puts me in the driver's seat. I'm evaluating this company. Once you've applied, that psychology changes, and it, it seems like oh, now I'm begging for something and they're going to evaluate my candidacy. Until that happens, I'm in the driver's seat. I like that. So you formally applied. And in the case that you wrote about here, it was pretty fascinating. So you sent an application, but once you did that, you did not just sit and wait for things to happen. You took some of the information you knew, some of the context you'd already made, and you you pushed the line in some things. And you talk about this, that you (laughs) wanted to make sure... You didn't come off as creepy or stalkerish, but you did things like show up at some happy hours that you knew that the company was going to be at um, from people you talked with. And one of my favorite story, you actually showed up to the office while your application was in there. You were waiting to hear back. It had taken longer than they said, which often people get defeated. And instead, you went and spent 150 bucks on a bunch of snacks and showed up because you knew they were going to be watching a basketball game, showed up to the office with food. Tell me that story because that's really amazing uh, and and a big part of this process that you put together. Yeah, thanks. Um, the one thing I always preface everything with is you have to understand the context of what I call your buyer, right? In a sales process, and in this case, the buyer is the company. So right at the beginning, I know it's a venture-funded, fast-growth startup company, okay? That tends to have a certain ethos, right? A certain kind of hard-charging, kind of aggressive ethos. And uh, so you start there, and then I had just... After my first informational interview, I had just cold gone to their offices to walk in and then realized they do this Friday happy hour. I had no idea. I was just going to walk into their office place and start asking for things, asking for, to meet people because I had developed that org chart so I knew who was not responding to my application. Met some people. That was great. Uh, you know, got some positive feedback. Hey, go ahead and follow up. Nothing happened. So two weeks go by. It's now been uh, maybe about a month since my application that went nowhere. And so it was March Madness. We are in Tennessee. Uh, The University of Tennessee basketball men's program has been ranked number one at points during this year. And so everybody in my city is like, University of Tennessee basketball, this is great. And I realized on a Thursday that the next day, the second day of the opening weekend of March Madness, the Tennessee men were going to be playing their first round game at 2.30 p.m. And I thought, knowing what I know about this company, bunch of young, aggressive, mostly males, and they took over the sports bar for their offices, and they have Friday happy hour, every, they're probably watching this game. I mean, everybody in town is watching this game. 
So this is an opportunity for me to go back, reinforce some of the connections I'd already made in person two weeks previous, uh, try to meet the hiring managers who have not been responding to my follow-up emails, my original application, like, and who knows why, right? Like that could be because they looked at it, they carefully evaluated my resume, they did some research online and said, this guy's a schmuck, we're not going to talk to him. Or more likely, more important, more urgent things came up in the day-to-day business. And, you know, my experience as an entrepreneur running my own businesses, I realized that's probably what the case is. Mm -hmm. And so I don't take silence as a rejection. And so anyway, um, I decided, okay, they're going to be watching these games. I'm going to go to Costco. I'm going to buy snacks and food. I mean, when I'm watching a sporting game, you know, I like to have some dip. I like to have some chips. I like to have, uh, you know, pretzels. So I do this. I don't even have a Costco card. I have to arrange with a friend who has a membership to let me go with her and meet her up there. Of course, Costco busts me. They won't even let me pay for it. So my friend has to pay. I have to Venmo her the money. Okay, great. So we, we roll in there. I got this stuff. And I walk up and I recognize that the CEO of this company is sitting on the porch of this former kind of sports bar space that they've taken over the second floor. and They've got the whole building. And I go, all right, like, I'm going to go introduce myself to this guy. So I walk up to him and he's talking to somebody. They're sitting down in kind of these club lounge chairs. And I just walk up and I just cold say, hey, I brought some food. Can I party with you guys? I'm just on the sidewalk. Like, I just walk (laughs) up off the street. And of course, he looks at me with this weird, like, quizzical look like, what? I said, hey, are you guys watching the Tennessee game? I brought some food. I mean, I literally could just be some guy who's just looking for a place to watch the game. (laughs) Uh, and he says, uh, he's trying to like, this is out of the ordinary, right? This is not like a normal function. Like we all have our social cues. Somebody says, how are you? You say, I'm fine. How are you? This is, this is, I'm pattern interrupting right away. And so he goes, uh, who are you? And I say, I'm Kevin Cherick. (laughs) That's it. Like he should know who I am. He has no clue who I am. Of course. Like he hasn't seen my resume. He doesn't even maybe know that this position is being hired. Uh, and he says like, and, and so I, then I walk up to him, uh, stick my hand out, shake his hand and say, Hey, I'm sorry. My name is Kevin Cherrick. I've applied for this position that you have open. I haven't heard anything. I'm hoping to be able to meet these two people specifically so I can talk about the position briefly, set up an interview. I figured you'd be watching this game. I brought some food. Is it all right if I come in? And he looks and like, it's kind of like you see the wheels going. It's like, I don't know, there's too much information here to evaluate. I don't know, but the dude's got some food. Like, yes, bring in your food. That's fine. So he says, sure, come on in. So I walk in and he yells at somebody that I'm walking by. Hey, this is Kevin. He brought food, show him around. And then as I'm walking out, he goes, he yells after me, man, I like your style. Yes. Thank goodness. Yeah, like this whole gamble is because it, it, so it could have gone badly, and like that's a risk you take. And like you, said, right. you don't take it personally, but that's you right. read the context. You took an informed gamble because you knew the culture of this startup, and uh, the fact that you brought some food, you made it hard to turn you away and say no. You weren't yeah. a weirdo and a, and a jerk about it, so you got yeah. in, and you got uh, you got his endorsement. So I, I also love that you say in here. So you get to meet all these people. You lay out your food on the table. You say, hey, everybody, I brought some food for you. You get to chat with some of the people who are reviewing your application. And you said in there, hung around for about an hour, hour and a half, talked to a lot of people. But then I left. I didn't want to overstay my welcome. I wanted to 
give just enough, get enough information and give enough information to make myself still interesting. But you did one thing really important with one of the people you met, who is somebody you were trying to get an interview with. Yeah. Um, t- talk about that conversation. Well, I finally, uh, as an aside, the food is important. And, and the something to talk about is important. It, it's a lot easier to say, invite someone over, hey, I got this food here, come check it out. And then you have like an easy in to talk with somebody than just going in empty handed and saying, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so. But somebody finally reroutes me uh, to the hiring manager who I had you know, sent an application to indirectly through their online portal, who I had emailed after meeting everyone uh, a couple of weeks earlier, who I had been assured was gonna reach out to me and didn't, he got busy. So. The guy was super nice. Oh, yeah, you sent me an email, right? I said, yes, I did. And he said, oh, send me another one. I just got buried. Like, just basically boost that back up to the top of my uh, inbox. Um, and I had interrupted, you know, a conversation he was having uh, with a young woman. And uh, he had his phone in his hand. And I said, uh, he said, email me and we'll set up an interview. I said, oh, well you have your calendar and your phone right there. Like we all do, right? We all have smartphones. Uh, Let's just set it up right now. And when I say that, the girl who had been talking to him goes, oh, he's good. Uh, Because this is, again, to me, it's basic salesmanship, which is you do not accept vague plans for the future uh, when you're in front of the person who has the ability to give you what you need. Uh, you press for concrete uh, yeses or nos or concrete plans for the future. And so he kind of paused for a minute and goes, yeah, okay, great. Because he knew in that moment, if he was going to say, no, 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 just email me, we both would have known that's a complete brush off. This is a no. And that would have changed my strategy a little bit. Doesn't mean I would have been out of the woods. Mm-hmm. But, but And all through this, of course, I kind of make the analogy in sales, if you're doing this process, you are showing them how you will do the job. And it reminds me of Barack Obama's 2008 campaign for president. A big critique of then Senator Obama, like first term United States Senator, was this guy doesn't have enough experience. How is he, he's got no, he's got no bills, he's got no laws that he's really done anything with. You know, he gave a great speech in 2004. And he said, if you want to know how I govern, watch how I run my campaign. And so in sales, because it is a sales role to get a job, that is a sales job to get the job, you're doing that as you lay this out. And so- oh, I love it. You, you showed them how you work. If, they're, if he's coming after us this way, imagine how he'll go after customers for us. You, right. know, you created value by bringing in food. You were persistent, but reading the context, really, really, really awesome. So, so you get on this guy's calendar- Yep. And you've got an interview and your interview goes pretty well. You've, you've done all these things, all the research, you've made connections, you come in and bring food, get, do this out of the box stuff. The CEO even says, wow, I like this guy's style. This other woman says she's impressed. You get the interview and you didn't get the job offer, right? No. Yeah. They, they coming out of the interview, you know, another sales tactic. I mean, you always ask for feedback, try to find out where you are in the process. You know, we don't just, uh, vomit a lot of information at somebody and then walk away and go, man, that was a great sales presentation. I, I hope they call us back. You know, you're going to uncover and ask questions. And, and so 
I always ask for feedback and that's something that when you're dealing with sales professionals, in this case, I was dealing with um, a CXO, like chief revenue officer who uh, shortly thereafter was uh, promoted president of the company. You know, in these uh, smaller startups, you deal in oftentimes in the hiring process with, with executives. He's got decades of experience with sales and building sales uh, organizations. They recognize when you're doing those things that set apart great salespeople. So part of this is you, you actually do have to know your stuff, right? You cannot fake it till you make it in this sort of a context. You're simply trying to show who you really are in a way that an electronic resume cannot do. If you know your stuff and you know that you have what's needed for the role, you can't just assume, well, I've got what's needed, so they're going to find it. I'll sit and wait. They'll look at my resume. They'll dig in. They'll do all the work of figuring out why I'm a good fit. You got to flip that around and say, I've got the stuff. They don't know that. I have to make it impossible for them to not know that, you know? Yeah. That was one of the lessons of my entrepreneurial experience. You know, I started off going, if I just build the perfect mousetrap, the market will recognize my excellence and start raining cash down on me, you know, through voluntary mutual exchange. Uh, and that just doesn't happen. Marketing is very important. And this is part, this is, can be considered like a marketing uh, idea. So anyway, come out. They told me what was going to happen. Very positive. Here are the next steps. You're going to meet with such and such. And then I get a phone call uh, five days later or so saying we went another direction. And I was like, I felt like I got punched in the gut. You know, at this point I'd been building momentum for over a month. You know, you start to develop this, uh, you know, you just get sucked in. You're like, Oh, you can see yourself in this role. You've talked to a bunch of people. Everything's been great. You start to you start to feel like you've got the job and you go do the interview and it goes well. And I had to sit down on a stool in my kitchen for a minute and just hold for about 10 seconds and just go, Oh, because it felt like I now had nothing. Cause I, I had invested a lot psychically and time wise into this. And then I thought if I was managing salespeople and a prospect came back and said, no, and said, well, boss, they said no. So I guess we're out in the cold. I'd be like, why did they say no? I don't know. You know, they don't have budget this quarter you know, some flippant nonsense reason that we all have and we all give for all kinds of reasons. You know, girls give standard reasons why they won't go out with you. Jobs give standard reasons for why they won't hire you. It goes on and on and on. And you cannot accept like face value answers, superficial answers for why you don't, uh, why you don't fit. They said the usual, which is we want somebody with industry experience. Uh, as somebody who's moved around in different industries, uh, that is always what kind of trips me up in the process. And so I sat down and thought, okay, now what can I do right now sitting here with a no to try to turn this around? And that is, you know, as you know, indicative of an internal locus of control. Mm-hmm. So frequently when we're in the job application process, we don't feel in control at all. We are at the mercy of the opaque machinations of the corporate bureaucracy that we just zipped our little resume through an online portal too. And we just sit back and wait. And if you have an internal locus of control, which is the world is what I create, I craft my world and my experience, then that just doesn't happen. I don't care what you're going to do. If I, if you have not convinced me that I'm not a good fit for this role, we are not finished. Preach it brother. I I love, I love what you said in there too. He said, 
you said I needed to find out if it's if they think they don't like me as a person and think I'm a bad culture yeah. fit, then mm-hmm. I'm not going to pursue it anymore, and I'm not going to try to convince them. It'll only make it worse. So I need to find out if that's not the reason for the no, then I'm going to keep persisting. And so right. you asked a couple specific questions when you requested feedback. You said, you know, what did you think about, I can't remember the specific question. And you basically got back from him information that indicated, no, we actually like you as a person, but we're sort of assuming that maybe you won't be able to do this job because of the industry experience or whatever. And that signaled to you, they like me. I I would be a fit there. They just fail to see how I could overcome this obstacle of lack of industry experience. I'm going to push harder to make them see that. And so what, what did you do after you got that no and you got the information about why? What was your, what was your, your final yeah. move that resulted well, in the offer? Well, before that, I do want to dive deep a little bit on Go for it. follow-up phone call. This and episode, it's going to be a few minutes longer and it's worth <laughs> it. It's worth it. It's um, a great story. So I get the phone call not from the guy that I interviewed with for an hour, right? I get the phone call from someone one level lower, you know, still an executive, and so I needed to get back in contact with the person that I had developed this great rapport with and who had told me so many positive things and these are the next steps and then those next steps didn't happen. And I texted and I called, I left a voicemail, I called the next day and didn't leave a voicemail and I'm tracking all this on an Excel spreadsheet because you can't be too aggressive, you, you know, and I can kind of visualize it. And, uh, and so I finally cold text him for the second time and I tell him, look, a part of my process is whenever um, a process does not complete, I do feedback so I can understand what went sideways and how I can improve in the future. By the way, I took this from what I did in previous sales jobs, right? Which is you're letting people know I'm a professional and even if this doesn't go the right way, I'm going to take personal responsibility for it and see how can I improve in the future. Guess what, right? Coachability, the ability to improve is what one of those key aspects that employers want. I said, would you consent to talk to me on the phone for just a few minutes so that I can get the feedback so that I can improve for the future down the road with somebody else? And he got back to me and said, yeah, okay, let's talk. So then I've got this appointment a few days out and now I, I write on my little notebook, okay, how do I want this call to go and what are my decision trees based on what his responses are? And one is, hey, sometimes you get beat out, that's okay. Like, did I really get, sometimes you get beat on a deal. It's just somebody else came in, the candidate pool was more talented, you know, had industry experience and was just as great as I am and smart and so on and so forth. You get beat, great. I can live with that. How did I get beat and what can I do to improve in the future? Two, I had already set the stage a little bit with this was a company I wanted to work for. I was very confident in their positioning and their growth based off of my informational interviews. And I knew that if I got in anywhere in this company, that I would then have the opportunity to show that all of this bluster and talk on the application process isn't just a flash in the pan that I actually can produce for them. And then it becomes much easier for them to say, okay, yeah, we brought him in maybe at a lower level than he applied for. He showed us he was the real deal. Now we're going to give him the opportunity to move forward. And if they don't, I'm still in a better position. I've gotten paid. I've gotten the industry experience. I can take that resume now and go somewhere else. So my questions were, I needed to know, did I get beat? Two, is this all just an excuse because... I tripped, I tripped a, a wire somewhere and they wouldn't hire me 
to clean the bathrooms. And that was, I don't ask them, hey, do you like me? <laughs> right? What corporate folks like to talk about is fit and culture. And that is code for do we like you? Yeah. Do I want to be talking to this person in the lunchroom or, or are they annoying? Yeah. And it's huge, right? I mean, you know this. When I was hiring for my, one of my businesses, I, I hired this young woman and I said, the best thing about working for yourself isn't the money. It isn't the control. It's choosing who your colleagues yeah. are. And by the way, if you are not a culture fit somewhere, if that code for, hey, they just don't like you, that doesn't mean you are a bad person. It right. means you would not have been happy there either, right? Like, that's right. I, not, there are a lot of good people in the world who are annoyed by my personal habits who would not want to be around me every day. And if that's right. you, I don't want us to be around each other because we're both not going to like it. So you don't take that personally either. But, but that's, that's a great thing that you point out that the need to figure out if that's what's going on, that's not something you, you need to try to salvage. But as long right. as it's not that, that's right. Uh, yeah, you don't want to be there. And that's something that, again, when I was in my early 20s, people would talk about fit and be like, that's nonsense. That's just like a smoke shield for something else. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I care about fit. I've got enough experience, have been in bad fits where you go, this is not working. So, uh, so I ask him this question and he almost cuts me off before I get done. And he says, very much so. We think we love what we've seen from you you know, he's very effusive. I'm like, okay, great. So now I'm tacking what other positions, if I can't get this position, what other positions, and I've already nailed down sales in two different departments that I want to talk with him about. Uh, and so I start to bring it up and he says, yeah, I was thinking about you for these departments. That's information great. you never would have gotten if you didn't get that follow-up. That's call. right. You and just, then you just got a rejection and little did you know, they were like, oh, we got to reject this guy. We're just not sure. But man, we'd love to find a place for him. You had no right. idea how close you were until you got that call. That's right. And then he tells me, you know, the hiring manager, he tells me, be in constant communication. <laughs> and I always tell people like, listen, if you tell me to be in constant communication, you have now, this, I've done all these things without permission. And yeah. you just gave me permission. So now I tell my friends when they say, oh, we'd love to host you and your family anytime. You're so great. I go, I'll be at your beach house. Like, <laughs> I'll just be there. So, I, so I, I get that. It was exactly what I wanted. I get off the phone. What I got off of that was they were positive about me, culture fit, stay in constant communication with this hiring manager. But I really don't have anything. It was kind of like, hey, keep looking out on the website for job postings. Don't be surprised if we just straight call you, you know, about a position, but I'm still sitting here with nothing. Mm -hmm. So what I say is when I'm behind the eight ball position wise, I have to go gorilla, which I did already previously by showing up cold at their offices twice with food, upping the, the CEO cold. Um, but then when I'm in place, once I have the interview, I go conventional, you know, we dress nicely. I'm going to present correctly. Yeah, I, play I love that. I love that in your article that you said you go gorilla, you get the attention. But once you got that interview, you didn't show up to the interview in a clown costume and do a bunch yeah. of antics. You already got their attention. Now show them you're, con you're also a conventional professional who's not wacky right. all the time, right? Like you Cause it can be easy to go overboard Yes, and a little salt goes a long way. People like a little character, a little quirky, but if the guy's going to be in the office all the time, always doing weird stuff, always pushing, very few people in organizations 
can handle, right? They'll spit you out and go, look, just start your own crazy. We got enough here. Um, and again, this is all informed by my experience building small organizations. So, uh, so what do I do? I had already emailed the hiring manager, letting him know I'd spoken with his boss, and this is what he had told me. And I just decided, okay, it's time to go aggressive again or go rogue or go gorilla. I use all these different terms. And I'd done this before and it had worked. This is the latest time. So what I did was I love Winston Churchill. Uh, I've read his three-volume biography um, by uh, – what was his name? Anyway, Last Lion. It's incredible. It's an incredible story of perseverance. I mean, his story is unbelievable. Everyone should read it. And one of his famous quotes, he's got a thousand of them, is success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the will to continue that counts. And I thought that spoke really well to this position that I found myself in right here. And so I go on to Etsy. I put that quote in, you know, here's 15 different things you can buy from somebody that have the quote really nicely. Bought some five by seven, essentially like postcards, five by seven pictures of this quote. Uh, framed them. Uh, I've got three of them. I wrapped them with like old school brown packaging, like paper, like almost like grocery bags, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's wrapping paper, but it's brown. I get twine. It's all stuff. My, my family is very crafty. So we have this stuff around the house. You know, I wrap it all in twine. So it looks like, like, like a package you would receive in the fifties. Mm -hmm. um, and I send one each to the CEO who I had met. Um, but I hadn't had any more communication with him at, from that day, but I knew I made an impression uh, to the guy who interviewed me, the top executive and to the hiring manager. And I send them each these three things it cost me 15 bucks, maybe total. Uh, and in there, I put a blank card, uh, which is maybe two by three inches. And I said, the other candidate would have taken no for an answer. Kevin chair. Now, this is really tight. You've got you to be careful about this one yeah. because if they've hired somebody and I'm slagging this person who, by the way, the position was a high-level position. Like, it's above – like, I could conceivably be reporting to this position now that I'm kind of tacking to, you know, my fallback position. So I don't want to piss this person off. I don't want to impugn their decision-making skills when they made – right? So you're, you're basically telling them they made a mistake but you have to do it in a certain way. And this goes back to what my sales trainer told me was the difference between the perception of aggression and assertiveness in a salesperson is tone. You know, you can say something to someone's face and it can come across totally one way. If you say it in a higher register with a smile, with a laugh, the exact same words can be interpreted totally differently. You know, a lot of salespeople understand that whatever it is, 7% of communication is, is the content of the words. It's not the tone. It's not the body language, et cetera, which is why we always try to communicate kind of face-to-face -face when, when possible. So I'm, I'm sitting here like working this copy. You know, my first instinct is the other guy. They might have hired a woman. Don't say guy. The other candidate, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking this person's probably super uh, well-qualified, industry experience, coming from somewhere. If they would gotten no, they would have been just fine doing their job the way they did yesterday, but not me. I needed to get this job. I needed to bring some money in, and this was an opportunity that I felt I had 
to make a lot of money and help this company a lot. So I write that down, I send it off. And my options there, again, everywhere I'm trying to differentiate, right? I could have like maybe put it in like a cushioned UPS envelope and insured this thing and waited a couple of days. And, you know, I was worried because there's glass because it's framed. Um, we have a courier service uh, here in town that attorneys use to send their stuff back and forth, uh, which I would have used. But instead, I just sent my 15-year-old nephew in there and gave him the opportunity as a learning uh, opportunity for him to see this crazy yeah. and to be a part of it with nothing at risk for him. So he goes in, I make him take pictures with his cell phone of whoever he gives it to these packages, um, deliver it. I get done. Okay. This is the first step in actually a big process that I had already planned out previously. Uh, basically I was just going to write handwritten notes and letters to these guys over weeks, you know, every few days, kind of like, you know, we're all familiar with drip campaigns on email, but email is such a uh, a cluttered area with so much noise. I'm trying to cut through that with my communication medium. So I do handwritten mail. So you were um, ready to do what the guy told you and stay yeah, in contact. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I had done that, right? I had emailed, I had texted and, and it got no response back. No. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Sorry. Didn't work out for this one. You know, we'll keep you in mind for future. Nothing. Uh, which was kind of par for the course. Again, yeah, it was consistent with the start. pattern and you are very busy. You had observed that and you had also understood that it wasn't because they didn't like you. And so you were able to kind of read between the lines and say, okay, I just need to do something to make sure that it doesn't get buried. Yeah. And uh, so I, I get these things dropped off and now I'm just sitting there. And the next afternoon I get an email with a DocuSign document that says labeled job offer. And I, I, and I, I was walking into the house, into the, my bedroom uh, to talk to my wife and I'm looking at my phone and I see this as it pops up my notifications. I can't even believe it because I had this whole plan. I figured this is gonna be a couple of weeks minimum best case. And it was a, and it was a role that was not anything they were advertising for publicly. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at their, their, you know, their job openings board. There's nothing there for you, you a sales role. A role for yourself. You forged yeah. a role by being somebody that they felt like, okay, we just can't pass on this guy. We're going to find a way to, to, to get value out of him. Even if it's not for this role we thought, or this other role we thought, uh, what an amazing thing. So I want to I want to leave some stuff that people can go read in your full article right. because there is a final step where you got the offer, yeah, and then you were like, I want to negotiate the offer, uh, and you said right in there, I didn't want to bluff because I wanted this job and I would take it even at the original offer. Yeah, but I also wanted to set the tone that I have confidence in my ability and that now that you have said you like me, I want to let you know that I want to make sure I'm getting value, um, and you kind of walk through that process, and and I think you handle it really a really nice balance there. Um, like a lot of the things in here, the line between, you know, respect and restraining order with out of the boxes <laughs> and, and just all these things yeah. you talk about with tone. So uh, yeah. I want to throw that in there. It's worth checking out, but what an amazing process and journey for a company you're really excited about a role you really want and putting in the work to win that versus you could have sent out a hundred generic resumes that all look the same and probably waited around for longer than a month and had more stress and heard mm -hmm. nothing and be nowhere by now. And, and, and in this case, you've got something that is that you, you result in an amazing job that was created for you. But not only that, the fact that you've written this up in a story and shared it and now shared it on this podcast, you've documented your process and your work. And how many people are going to see this and say, oh my gosh, I would love a guy like Kevin. 
hey, Kevin, what are you doing next, right? Just showing yeah. that is a huge added benefit. So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a great process and I'm so happy to share it. Thanks for having me on. Hey, absolutely, Kevin. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. As I said, I highly recommend reading the whole article. There's so much good stuff in there that everybody can learn, not just for sales roles. And uh, Kevin, I, I really appreciate that you just sent it to me, that you thought to share it. That's the kind of stuff we love. So if you have your own career crash stories out there, send them to Isaac at crash.co. I want more of them. I'll bring more people on to interview them or read them on the air. So Kevin Cherick, you are the man. Congratulations on crashing your career. Have a good one. Thanks, Isaac. Like what you hear? Go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at isaac at crash.co. 